morning. Man, you guys look awesome this morning. You must have rested up uh, this past week. Uh, you look good. I am really glad to be here today. And um, I was just sitting there thinking that uh, what a blessing it is to be able to have life, uh, to be able to be healthy, uh, as healthy as we are, to be able to come out while everything isn't perfect. Uh, life is good and God is good. And uh, so I'm glad you're here today to join us. My name is Randy. If you're a guest today, uh, it's awesome to have you here. And do stop by and uh, see Raph and uh, some other folks if you uh, are a first-timer here today. Well, we're in a series that we began last week called The Road to Recovery, and uh, we kind of laid this out, and we talked about the fact that uh, all of us are dealing with challenges in our life, and sometimes they become life-controlling, and uh, we need a special help, but even if they don't, we all need encouragement, we all need recovery in this world, And, and I believe that the church is the answer to the problems of the world. And I don't say that lightly. I'm just not going to say if you come to church, all your problems will go away. I'm not suggesting that. But I really do believe that the church overall, the kingdom of God, God's people, His presence here on this earth right now are the answer to the problems of their world. And that's why I've committed my life to it. But, you know, even beyond that, I'm inspired by our volunteers. I love our volunteers. You know, I was, uh, we were getting ready this morning. We always have a time in our, in our room over here, and we sat down, and we plan the service out, but it's already been laid out, it's, and, and people have contributed each of their parts, and I was just thinking, you know, it's so great to have volunteers that know what they're doing, can play instruments and sing, and, and the details, you know, and can, uh, you know, the sound, and all those just things that, that you guys do. Yesterday, I came in, we had people doing landscaping, we had people mowing, working on journey provisions, and I want to thank you guys. You're inspiring to me as volunteers. Thank you all. Uh, I love it. If you're not volunteering somewhere, uh, then you need to do that because it will add so much value to your life, and you're going to be working in the one thing that will outlive you uh, and will, will outlive this world. The church will always exist. So when you contribute yourself, uh, you're giving, uh, you're serving, your, your abilities, uh, it makes an eternal difference and glorifies God. That's, that is really big to me. Um, but uh, that's not what I'm talking about today at all. I got distracted a little bit. You know, we're in this road to recovery. Last week we said the reality of it is that we're all dysfunctional in one way or another. We all have hurts and habits and hang-ups. We got issues with family. We got finances. We got jobs. We got health. We got all these things are bombarding us to the point that we just need some help getting through this whole world. And that's what I believe where I got distracted was saying that the church can help do that. We can be a beacon of hope to our world today, to a dark world. And so I just share with you, we're going to be offering a, a, a ministry and support recovery group called Celebrate Recovery starting on Labor Day. Uh, if you can't wait until then, we do have people that would be glad to talk to you, but I'm excited about that. It's also going to be led by volunteers and, uh, and just, uh, you know, we have a group of people doing that. So I'm excited about that as well. Uh, we just noted last week that some people are in denial. Some people uh, admit they or will not admit they need help, and they get stuck there for the rest of their life. They rob themselves of healing. But other people wisely know that, that God's given not only uh, the Word of God to encourage, but one another too, and that we can discover that help uh, by all pulling together. And last week in our first message, we talked about the fact that the root cause of all of our issues is our desire to control things. We want to be in charge. We want to control our world, our environment. Heck, I want to control other people's world and their environment. You know, I just want to be in charge of the world sometime. And, and I realize at some point, I'm not God. I can't do that. It's exhausting to me. And I become frustrated. I blame myself. I blame others. Sometimes I fall back on bad habits or bad choices. I abuse perhaps alcohol or drugs or uh, food or whatever it might be, maybe other people. And I also realize that nobody's exempt from that. 
about a year ago, uh, I got, we, the, the church world got some startling news. It was about a, a well-known minister of a large church. This guy led a church of about 30,000 people. Uh, this guy was knocking it out of the park when it comes to uh, uh, speaking and growing a church. I mean, from the outside, it looked just incredible, just unbelievable. I went to conferences at this guy's church, and we listened to him on podcasts and used his curriculum in, in our church for different, uh, different things. And it was just amazing what this guy was doing, but nobody knew what was going on inside. Uh, he admitted he had stress and low self-esteem and struggled with those things, but secretly he began abusing alcohol and abusing his family. And as a result of that, his church, the church he started, the church that ran about 30,000 people in multiple sites, his church fired him and would not even consider him to be rehired in that position. Now, I don't know a lot about it, and I'm not being critical, but I just recognize the fact that this secret sin, this problem that was working under the surface that nobody saw, ended up taking everything from him. He lost his church, he lost his marriage, he lost his reputation, he lost it all. That's such a sad thing, and that's a big, big thing, and it's public and everything on him, but a lot of people go through the same thing in their personal life. And the saddest thing is that there were so many people who loved this guy that I know if he had just admitted it and reached out with honesty and openness, there would have been tons of people who would have come alongside and supported him. He would have gotten all the support in the world. But I think the problem was denial. And, and I, again, I don't know the details, but I have to believe that he was confronted perhaps several times and denied that he had a problem, and that's why he's not even been considered to, uh, to be replaced or restored. See, denial is a huge thing, and denial is one of those things in our life that uh, really robs us of the recovery that we could have. Uh, and really, there's only one antidote to denial, and that is pain. We said last week that we normally don't change when we see the light, we change when we feel the heat, when things get really bad in our life. And and sometimes that, that horrible ex, uh, uh, experiences that we have because of our actions actually serve to do us a favor, to bring us to the place that we're willing to change our life. And when we change, we reach out for help uh, whenever we're really hurting. And, and unfortunately, many people never experience that because they never get to the place in life where their pain or discomfort outweighs their embarrassment or their comfort where they are. You know, the last few weeks, as I've uh, attended some of the meetings with our, with our group of core leaders, I've been hearing them talk about the danger of denial and how bad denial is. And, and maybe there's some of you here today who are in denial. Maybe you are. You just don't realize that. And again, it's, it's not a river in, in Egypt. It's, it's in each of us that we deny how bad we are, you know, that, that we, are, we all have problems. But let me tell you, God uses sometimes some things to help bust that. And so I, I want to give you a couple of denial busters that God uses sometimes to, to move us. Maybe you recognize some of these in your life. The first one is confrontation. That is when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I don't know if you realize the extent of this issue in your life, but it's a problem. You have a problem here. Maybe it gets to the place where it's an intervention, where several people gather together and talk to you. And you know, a lot of times when that has to happen, it's almost like a last extreme, a last uh, uh, effort. Nobody, nobody knows what else to do, but, but they come and they, because they love you and they talk to you. And let me just say this, if it's one person or if it's multiple people who, who come and do that, listen, because you have no idea how difficult it is for someone to get the courage to come up and talk to you about something in your life. It is extremely difficult. If I, at some point, were to talk, if you were to come to me, let's listen to one another. Confrontation is usually sparked by love, and it comes from God, so listen to what they have to say. The second buster is crisis. 
Maybe it's an illness that comes directly from the challenge in your life. Uh, Maybe it's stress. Maybe it's job loss. Maybe it's relationship conflict. When those things come, when crisis come around us, sometimes we almost double down and we we, we go back, get into our problem deeper because that's where we're trying to escape to. But when that happens, we need to listen to the things happening around us, the crisis around us. And the third thing is, is the worst. It's catastrophe. It's when the bottom falls out. It's like my preacher friend I mentioned there, that we lose perhaps everything, and hopefully we never get to that place. But when we do, even if it takes that, it might be the best cure for us to get out of our problem and find real recovery and healing. So I told you last week we were in this study about uh, recovery, and we're using the word, actual word recovery as an acronym. And last week, as we began, we said we need to realize that we're not God. If you were here, you remember that. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. Today, we're going to take the second step. We're going to address this whole issue of denial. We're going to address the the issue of of, uh, getting past the fact that we can fix things. And the second letter of the word recovery is E, and so that stands for earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that God has the power to help me recover. To earnestly admit that I know that God exists, that I matter to God, and that He has the power to help me. See, there is power greater than myself that I can plug into. A lot of us are not plugged into God. That's why we're stuck in our problems. That's why we're challenged, and we don't see the, find the help that we need. This particular help, the last week, this, the help was to realize an awareness step. This is a commitment step, a commitment step. And, and the, the step is based on Hebrews chapter 11. Here's what it says, anyone then who comes to him, that is God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we're going to take some time this morning, we're going to break that down, and we're going to talk about how God requires us to tap into his higher power and how that we can do that. Now let me just say this, as I did last week, a disclaimer. If you say, well, you know, I'm doing okay, I've got issues, but they're not life-controlling, uh, I'm not like those people uh, number one, there's no such thing as those people. It's all us people. We're all dysfunctional. We all got problems. But number two, even if you don't have something that's life controlling, you're going to find some truth in this for your life. Because this is what God asks for all of us. This is not for certain people. This is what all of us need to understand because all of us are broken in God's sight. The ground is even at the foot of the cross. Remember that. So let's break down this verse. Number one, it says, the first part, it says that we have to acknowledge God's existence. This is the basic step to coming to a relationship with God, to acknowledge God's existence. That's what he says. We must first of all believe that he exists. Now, this is not so difficult for us in our world today because in in America, only 3% of people would call themselves atheists. Now, maybe you know some people who say, hey, I'm an atheist, but sometimes that's just a cop-out, so you'll just leave them alone, you know? Uh, they don't really believe that. Only 3% of Americans really believe that they are atheists. In fact, that's fewer than 50 years ago. So that's a good thing. Now, why do people believe there is a God anymore? Because we know so much more today about the universe than we ever knew before. And while we can't prove through science or knowledge that there is a God, it's certain science does not disapprove God either, either. And so as people begin to know more and discover more, they begin to understand there's got to be somebody who did this. It didn't just happen. You know, all the intricacies of, of uh, life and the, you know, cells and all, how everything grows and lives and multiplies, there's no way all that could happen by accident. There's no way. In fact, it would take more faith 
to not believe in a creator than it does to believe in a creator. So when you talk about faith, it's just easier to say, there's a God, somebody who did that, even though you don't understand or know who he is. You know, uh, a few, uh, a while back, the Time Magazine had a cover title that says, Science Discovers God. And they kind of dealt with this and the reality that, yeah, there is a God. You just got to admit that. Stop denying it, just admit it. Uh, you, maybe you've heard that they're searching for the God particle. It's interesting that people's thoughts are acknowledging that someone, there is a master plan and creator. Now, we've always believed that, but the more our world knows, the more we come to admit that everything around us and our, our com complexity did not just appear on its own, did not just evolve out of nothing. And that's what the Bible says too. In Romans chapter 1, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, they've been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. You see, God's given us so much that there's no excuse. We're not going to stand before God and say, God, I didn't think you existed, but I just couldn't figure it out. I tried to make up things. God's going to say, there's no excuse. You got too much information. You have to believe that there is a being, that there is a God. So we know that God exists not only from his word. We know that he exists not only from his creation, but also because we see God working and moving in people's lives. I mean, I just see God moving and doing things in people that there's no way they can do alone. There's no way that other people could help them do. Nobody can manipulate these things. Only God can do it. And so the real issue isn't, is there a God? The real issue is, what kind of God is he? What kind of God is he? Does God know about us? Does God care about us? Let me ask you, what do you think about God? What are your thoughts of the character of God? And, and uh, when you think of God, what, do you, what comes to mind first? For a lot of people, their God is a lot like their earthly father, which makes a lot of sense when you think about it, because he is our heavenly father, the closest parallel we have here is probably our earthly father. And so for a lot of people, when we think of God, it kind of goes back to our concept of what our earthly father was like. If he was harsh and cruel, or he was absent or uncaring or unpredictable, then that may be your concept of who God is. And that, that's horrible. That is horrible. Um, you know, I got, a, I got a birthday or a Father's Day card for one of my daughters. It was a bit late, but it, it did come in. And uh, you know, uh, she, she included a Lowe's card, which is like the dad's best gift, gift ever, you know, because you got freedom, go do what you want. Uh, but, but in her card, she wrote some notes there that was much more precious than what she gave me. And she just thanked me for being a dad that showed up, that was there for her, and that gave her a good picture of what a Heavenly Father's like. And I know I failed her in a lot of ways, but I want to tell you, that's the goal, is to try to be the kind of father that we, the Bible teaches us that we, ought to, that we have and that we ought to become ourselves. So our concept of God is kind of developed by the view of God, that, of our, our earthly father. So dads, uh, take a note here. But um, sometimes we can believe there is a God. We can accept that. But we remake God in our own image, in our own picture. And we can be totally wrong about who he is and what he's like. So sometimes we have to re-educate ourselves and learn. So to please God, we have to not only believe in Him, but we have to understand the character of God. And that may be uh, something that we have to, to spend some time thinking about if we've had a bad example. So what is, what is God really like? Because here's the thing, until we know what God is really like, we can't trust Him. You ever thought about that? Until you know who God is and what He's like, you can't trust someone. You can't trust someone you don't know. 
You only trust them when you get to know them and understand who they are. And here's a great thing. God understood that, and so God came to earth 2,000 years ago to reveal himself to us, to show us who he really is, to kind of lay it out there, to be one of us, to live in human body and skin, and to experience everything that we experience today. And so the Bible tells us that Christ Jesus, his son, is the visible expression of the invisible God. A lot of people struggle with the concept of God because he's invisible, but when you understand that Jesus came here to show us God, to show us who God is, then that explains a lot of things. It also explains why it's so important for us to read the Bible, especially the Gospels of Jesus, you know, the four Gospels to get a picture of what Jesus' life was all about, to understand who he is and what he's all about. You know, um, we talked last week about AA and NA, and we just talked about the fact that those 12 steps that, that they follow are based on the Bible. And, and, and AA and NA, they speak about a higher power, a higher power. And one thing I've noticed in talking to some folks who are a part of those organizations, have been through them, is they are really concerned that people know who the higher power is. So let me introduce you to the higher power. The higher power is not just a force out there. It's not just the in, somebody influencing your life. The higher power is Jesus Christ. That is the higher power that we look to. He is the source of our strength. We'll talk more about the power that he gives us in a moment. But, but he is the only one who can rescue and save us. So if you want to know the character of God and you know what God is like, then look at Jesus. See, Jesus came here as a human being to identify with our situation. He understands our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. Why? Because the Bible says he was tempted in every way as we are. He was human and all human and all God. And he, knew, he knows exactly what it means to be tempted. He knows, he knows the challenges of life. You know, the Bible doesn't go into a great detail about Jesus' biggest temptations, but because he was human, he had issues just like you and I that he struggled with. Three of them are listed, you know, for power, for, you know, fame, for, uh, for human, you know, for food. Those, those were all temptations that he, that, he, that he dealt with and struggled with. Just like you have the issues in your life that, that you're challenged with as well. And because he was both man, he understood us. Because he was God, he understood everything about us. And Jesus knows everything about you. He knows how you're feeling right now. He knows about your struggles with your habits, your fears, depression, despair. I, I don't know, whatever it is, you plug in the word. He knows that he knows your needs. He knows your actions. He knows you at your best moment. He knows you at your very worst moment. And here's the amazing thing, he loves us through it all. Loves us through it all. Maybe you're one of those people who in life, you're fortunate that you have a best friend that would stand by you no matter what. No matter what. No matter what you did, no matter how dumb, no matter what you said, even if you hurt their feelings, they would stand with you no matter what. They know you well, but they love you anyway, despite you. You know what? Jesus wants to be that kind of friend. He wants to be there for you. He wants, to, he wants to love you because he already knows you, but he wants you to love him and know him as well. And he knows you better than you know yourself because he is God, and he came to reveal God to us. These are all the things that we experience and know about God come through Jesus Christ. And the most important thing for our discussion right now is that God knows about your situation. You know, a lot of times we feel like that there are things in our life that, that we've never told anybody. Maybe your secret sin, you know, maybe your, your secret addiction, maybe your, your, your greatest struggle in life, the thoughts that you have that go through your life, how you feel about somebody, the challenges you have. You're saying, you're thinking, nobody knows what my life is like. Nobody knows how bad my marriage is. God knows. 
Nobody knows, you know, the struggle I have with, with this issue, pornography or uh, this addictive thing or whatever it be. Nobody knows that. God knows. Nobody knows my pain physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Nobody knows. God knows. God knows all of those things. The Bible says that God knows our troubles. And I didn't realize this, but God knows and God counts our tears. He knows that much about us. He knows the heartbrokenness that we have. You know, you may never share your deepest hurts and fears with anybody else, but God already knows them. The second thing we learn about God from Jesus is that he cares. And not only does he know, it would be one thing just for him to know. That would be great, but to actually care about it. Psalms 103 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord is compassionate on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Isn't that encouraging that, that God isn't up there pointing a finger all the time because he already knows that we're dust. He already knows that we're weak. He already knows that we're going to be challenged in life and how frail we are. Our idea of God has to, to, to encompass the idea that he knows those things and cares anyway. See, 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 people sometimes have two erroneous views of God. One thing, that God doesn't know what's going on in your life. And secondly, that God's standing up there judging you and pointing the finger all the time. And the reality is that God knows all of those things. But right now we're living in the days of mercy and grace. One day there will be a day of judgment. The Bible tells us when God calls the end of this world, there'll be a judgment time. But right now it's mercy and grace that God is viewing us with. He's not pointing a finger and condemning us. He's loving us and calling us to himself and, and, and to repentance. The Bible says that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. That's what God's goal is. And God's love is, is unconditional. It's like the love of a parent for their child. That child that, that they have, that, that natural love, that we may not be happy with them all the time. We may even have to punish them, but we never stop loving them. And the same thing is true with God. You know, God, there are times when God is not happy with me. I'm confident. And there may be times when God has to put a little bit of pressure and punishment on me, but God never, ever stops loving me. He knows your situation. He cares about that. But here's a great thing. God can change me and my situation. So many of us have given up on God and we've given up on ourselves. But the good news is that God can change the situation. Sometimes God changes me. Have you ever been changed by God? Have you ever reached a place in your life where things were so bad, the heat was so hot that you said, I got to change this. It, it hurts too much to stay where I am uh, to not, not change. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. That's easier. Sometimes God changes me. Sometimes God miraculously changes the situation. That's awesome. That's what we pray for. God, please fix this. Don't worry about me. Just fix this. Sometimes God says, no, I'm worried about you first. I'll fix you. Sometimes he fixes the situation. Sometimes he changes both. And that's when we really see him the most. See, God can change anything, but I believe that God's waiting on us sometimes. He's waiting on you and I to change what we can, or at least initiate the change. At least open ourselves up to say, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. I want to take the steps. I will do my part, God. That's why I believe God doesn't just fix everything immediately for us. Because a lot of us, we want it to be fixed. We'll throw up a prayer every now and then and ask God to do it. But we're doing nothing ourselves to move toward that kind of recovery. And that's why God doesn't take it all away. You see, I know that God has the power to fix things. I know that God has the power to resurrect a dead relationship. I said earlier, people say, you don't know how bad my marriage is. You know what? God knows that. 
And I've seen God fix marriages. I've seen him take two people who were at odds, who didn't love each other. They, they would admit that. I've seen God fix that when those people are willing to put themselves in his hands. I've seen God do incredible things. I've seen God take away uh, people's addiction. Uh, just take it away. Just remove it. I've seen God help people deal with their horrible past, their abusive past. I've seen God fix dis eating disorders and everything else because they gave it to him, and God fixed that situation. And here I'll tell you why. Jesus said it best in Matthew 19. He said, with God, nothing, or excuse me, with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Things can change. People can change. There is hope for healing and recovery. And I want to tell you, one of the things that we just need on this road to recovery is to understand that there's hope. Because we get very hopeless, not only for ourselves, but the people that we love sometime in our world. So here's the thing. Here we've got, we've got God who loves us. We've got Jesus who represents God and, and reveals God to us. And Jesus is standing ready to receive us, not just there if we need him, but actually inviting us, reaching out to us, having done everything he could. He came to earth to see us, to be one of us, to invite us to come and be with him. But here's the sad thing. The longer that you resist and the longer you postpone the pain, the worse it gets and the further recovery gets away. The further it gets away. You know, I was reading something this week that said that the longer that people, you know, come to church and hear about Jesus and, and refuse to make a decision to follow Jesus, the more unlikely it becomes that they ever will. And that, that was really staggering to me. I never thought that because part of me thought if people come, you know, they'll just absorb it more and more until some point they decide to follow Jesus. But, but what really happens is that sometimes we hear the message over and over again and we, we don't respond and we, re, you know, we just refuse to make that decision we know God's calling us to. It's soon we get very callous to it. And I think the same thing is true in, in this idea of recovery. I've seen people who know they're in a horrible place. But time after time, someone reaches out a life rope or an arm to pull them in. They say no, and the less likely the recovery becomes. Because when you're in that place, you are burning through your life. And you're not living to the potential that God's called you to. I know, there, I know people who are stuck in life-controlling situations, and they're not moved to do anything about it. Someone's called that the paralysis of analysis where you want to be, you know, you know how bad it is, you just, you just know it, and you know and you want to think about it, you want to talk about it with people, you want to worry about it, but you, just, you really don't want to fix it because you're paralyzed, you're stuck there. Maybe with some addiction or some event in the past. But when you, when you live like that, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck and you're not going to go anywhere. It's kind of like trying to drive your car by using the rearview mirror. Now, the rearview mirror does have some value. It's helpful because it gives you perspective. It, knows, it shows you where you've been, it may show you what's going on around behind you, but if you only look at your past, you're never going to move forward into the future. You can't go forward just looking backwards. And so you got to understand, you know what, the view that's going to move me ahead is going to be ahead, it's looking forward. Now how do we get that help when we're hurting? Well, I think the Bible's told us, it says, believe God exists, understand the character of God, but then we have to accept God's offer of help. Because a lot of people get stuck. They, they know there's a God. They even understand that God cares, but they never accept his offer to help him. Because the Bible says it's not enough to just to believe in God. You know, one of the, one of the most staggering uh, thoughts that, that, that the Bible teaches me is that demons believe in God. They know there's a God. But demons aren't going to be saved because they have no action. They're not going to move toward God. 
They're not going to accept God's offer of salvation. And I would say that in this room, most of us would believe in God. There probably are very few, if any, atheists in this room. But the reality is that many of us are not responding. We're not accepting God's offer and invitation to us. We still have our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups. We walk in, we hear, we walk out, we do it again. And what we have to do is we have to accept the offer. We have to plug into the power. You see, good intentions, willpower alone, those things are not enough. We need God's will and God's power, not just our own willpower. And when we step into that and accept that, God is waiting for us. He's inviting us. And when you tried everything else in life and, and you've not found healing, it's time to call out to God. And when you do that, the response that we have that he's offered to us is Jesus, a surrender to Christ. The Bible says that when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we are forgiven of our sins and we are filled with his Holy Spirit. There's a secret there that we don't talk enough about, the power of his Holy Spirit. And you might say, what does that mean? I don't know if I want any spirits inside of me. Is that like weird, a, a weirdo or a spiritual nut or something? What happens there? While we don't understand God and a lot of the big picture of God, we don't understand his spirit either sometimes. God, when he comes into our life, he spill, fills us with some things through his spirit. He fills us with power and love and self-control. We get the power to break those habits that we cannot break alone. We get the, the power to do the things that we know are right and to resist the things that we know are wrong. We get the power to break free from our past, what's been holding us back, and find healing in our hearts and our minds. And we experience the pure love of Christ and other believers because the walls start falling down when he comes in. And then also, remember I said we get self-control? It's not just to break free from the past, but it's to say no to the things that are self-destructive to ourselves and other people. And you know what's so ironic is that for us to have that and to find our, truly find ourselves or are looking for ourselves, we have to lose ourselves in Christ. So the Bible says you lose yourself in Christ and then you find yourself in Him because we're not really in control of our lives until Christ is in control. He has an amazing power in our life. And when He comes into our hearts and minds, it is powerful, the most powerful thing you can imagine. You know, as I was thinking about this, one of the most powerful things that we have today, uh, kind of an example, is electricity. Can you, can you imagine what it would be like to live without electricity? In fact, we were talking earlier, um, saw the video of Haiti. That's one of the things that, that is not very uh, common in Haiti is electricity if you're out away from the, uh, the mission. And so you learn to live without electricity, but uh, that's not that much fun, to be honest. It's a blessing to us. Now, almost everything in our life kind of goes back to electricity. But here's, there's a basic thing about electricity. If, if you have an electric appliance, it has to be plugged in to work. It has to be plugged in to work. I mean, a toaster, TV, they're worthless. They're useless unless they're plugged in, right? And as I was thinking about this, I saw this little video. I thought it was kind of interesting, and it might take you a moment, but this guy's got a, he's got a hammer drill. Uh, but watch how he uses it here. Mike, can do it. Well, here's a sharp guy right here. Hey, dude. Hey, that's Knoopy. Yeah, that's Knoopy. Like a monic. I'm 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 doing. Yeah. Hey, Woo! 
thought that was hilarious. You know what? A lot of us, we can laugh at that, but that's how we live life, isn't it, man? We're just going to do it on our own with our own power, and we're going to do it in spite of it, and we're just a little bit surprised sometimes when the power comes out. But there is a power that we plug into. We're going to discover how amazing it really is. How do we plug into His power? The Bible says we do that by believing that God exists, that God cares for me, and that God is willing to, and I'm willing to accept the offer that he has given to me. And we reach out to Jesus. Reach out to him because he is already reaching out to you. There is a road to recovery. God's given us this plan. He just offers it to us, and we're invited to get on the road no matter where we are. Here's the, here's the amazing thing. And we said this last week, that God never gives up. And no matter where we are, no matter how many mistakes we've made, right where we are. Sometimes we can go back and fix the past. Many times we can't. Many times it's just today. This is where I am, this moment. I will take the step to begin the journey. And when we admit that we're powerless and we come to believe there's a power, the God who can heal and restore us to health, that's the first step. And the amazing thing is that we don't have to walk it alone that Jesus will walk the road with us. He will be there with us. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I will be there. I told you I believe that the church was the answer to the world's problems, and this is why. Because we have the antidote to, to sin and to pain, and that is hope that we find in Jesus Christ. And today, this step on the road is a step of commitment. And so I want to encourage you to think about the commitment that you need to make, the decision to follow Jesus for the very first time or to recommit your life to him or to plug into his power and surrender to him. When we let go, God takes over. Only then can we experience his power. If you want to have a conversation about that, I would love to do that. If, uh, anytime, just, just make some contact. There's a card you have, your connection card. Just write down the information. Say, I want to talk to a minister, uh, whatever it might be. We'd love to have some, spend some time with you and talk about your next step on your journey. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. God, we, uh, we're humbled by your greatness. We're humbled by your love. And Lord, uh, your word says that we must believe that you exist. Father, help our belief. We must believe, God, that you uh, desire to reward those who seek you. God, we believe that. Help us believe us believe in that faith. And then, God, we must do our part by accepting your offer of help. More, my prayer is that each one here this morning has taken their first step and ready for the next step, whatever it may be, to begin the road to you, their journey of life. We love you, Lord. We worship you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.